This is the machination. All right, right, there we go. For July 15th, recorded July 15th, going up. I don't actually have any idea when I'm going to put this up. I'm your host, David Paddock. We have the movie crew plus one. Hey. We got Nicole, we got Ryan, we got Mitchell. Hello, folks. Hello. Hello. Mitchell, you haven't been on a movie cast, have you? I think I have. Uh, a while well, it's good. I guess ago. neither of us remember. I don't remember so which good. one, but I, I'm pretty sure it was. Were you the Incredibles? We had a pretty packed house no. that day. I think it was Inception. Was it? Oh, maybe it was. I think it might have been. Awesome. That's entirely possible. Well, welcome back. Absolutely. Thanks. From wherever you came from. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> You're here to uh, try your hand at uh, little John Carpenter this time. Cue the music. Nicole. <laughs> We're talking about They Live. We are talking about They Live. So, uh, you know, with all the different genres we like touching, I hate horror movies. (laughs) So I was hoping that we would never pick one. So instead, folks, I brought you the guy that invented the slasher film, John Mm -hmm. Carpenter, but not one of his horror movies. One Mm -hmm. of his brilliant sci-fi endeavors that is... It's an indie movie. Mm-hmm. This is a low-budget movie. Mm-hmm. It's so 80s. It's very 80s. Yes. Well, John Carpenter's best work ended in the 80s, so this was basically the end of a beautiful career right here. Um, and this movie, for as low-budget and as 80s, and as ridiculous as it is while you're watching it, is it, it just it, it has so many messages that just transcend time, boundary, politics, you know, everything. And that would be They Live. They Live. We sleep. (laughs) (laughs) No, this, uh, oh, we were going to watch the the trailer for this, but that's fine. If you guys, if you guys haven't seen the movie, at least pause this and watch the two-minute trailer online. It will give you, I mean, for one thing, it spoils the shit out of the movie. But on top of that, it's just, it's a great example of the kind of, of campiness yes. that underlies everything about this movie. Um, and in particular, I mean, I don't I don't necessarily want to... I guess I'll just give my opinion of it up front. I think this movie is just straight up bad <laughs> in a really enjoyable way. Yes. <laughs> it is... It and, has it's, all and it's only... It, it, it's 90 minutes, just about on the dot, so it doesn't take doesn't a lot of time. Doesn't overstay its welcome. No, it, but it's just... It's full of... Like, Roddy Piper is an awful actor. The dialogue... <laughs> While incredibly memorable, it's memorable for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> the premise is vapid and navel-gazy in a just ridiculous way. Um, and it feels like a $4 million movie. Oh, man. It does not feel like they spent much. Well, I mean, I gotta I got say, uh, you said it's campy. It's definitely low budget. But you gotta realize that, like, I think that... I used to watch like Kevin Smith movies and he's like this just seems like a movie that someone wanted to make yeah yes. and the fact that that like comes out because I think we don't usually find a lot of indie movies that are like this to a certain extent I mean the thing is that like you said this is a four million dollar movie but made during the 80s it means that this is actually on film which means you needed actual cameras and it had to like get a like twenty thousand dollars together to have this camera for a week at a time and then schedule this out to do this you had to like you had to have an insane kooky like vision, but then you also needed to have the ability to actually get people together to make it happen. And those two things you don't necessarily need to happen now with digital photography and a lot of the ease I think in in gaining the technology that I just don't think you have this kind of like let's make a movie attitude that this film and other films like it tend to like project. Well, 
And at the very least, it's a lot. The bar to actually make something deliverable is yeah. so low now that it doesn't like this movie feels like the kind of thing that would have only barely cut it, it. It feels like everything might probably have been on fire right behind the camera mm-hmm. because it's, it's very just possible. Yeah. Like there's, there's just, there's stuff about it. It's got that aesthetic. I mean, the other movie, Ryan, you'd mentioned just people getting together and making a film, uh, another film that everyone, Mitchell, I don't know that you will have even heard of this film um but uh the miami connection yes yes um, yes by grandmaster yk kim um, <laughs> wow that's another... really taking it down a step yeah. but i see well, no, 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 but it's, the, the aesthetic is <laughs> yeah. the aesthetic is very much the same they just they wanted a movie and they got a movie yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this this movie feels that way to me too like the premise the it's not it, like you could do a serious movie on the premise that there are a bunch of aliens co-opting the human race and mm-hmm. like there's there's this is so laden with conspiracy but making a serious movie that's actually good out of that premise would be fucking hard yes so so, this, why, so why bother like why try so exactly <laughs> why try because you wanted to make this film well but it, yeah it, but it like it, it's at the same time it, it the fact that I, I don't think it takes itself so seriously not a like bit. that you you get that immediately going into it and you're like well all right then let's just let's go where this goes like let's just see where this will take me and I will you know I'll go there with you I'll enjoy myself yeah. and it's just a lot of films don't kind of have that anymore uh even independent films I think have as we've kind of discussed in previous podcasts, kind of have this like this air of being more than what they are, right? If we talk about like the actual use of the word pretentious, I think they are pretending to be something that they maybe are not exactly capable of executing or doing so in a way that it has the kind of quality that they're in, that they're endeavoring for. And when you're able to do that, I mean, the, I think one of the most powerful things you need to realize is realizing your constraints and they live i think realizes its constraints in a very very cool and effective way it doesn't try to be so over the top in its message uh oh, excuse me in, in the way that it executes its overall story but at the same time is allowing itself to kind of go places and to do things that other films might not have been able to do like for example a five and a half minute fight scene yeah that's not <laughs> kung fu inspired like and so like but like when you like read about the origins of that scene you know it kind of has this like beautiful like you know like you can imagine like roddy and keith david like going to the going to the director john carpenter and saying hey we've been working on this for two weeks like let's put it in the movie and you're like yeah we got you know we got an extra two thousand feet of film like let's shoot this fucker you know like (laughs) let's do this and like but you can do that in this kind of a film right i think you're a little bit more open to having a kind of uh, relationship in the creative process of making a film that other, that big budget movies that are so meticulously planned and budgeted and, and marketed don't have the freedom to be able to do and independent films and the fact that they think that they have to be so, you know, weighty and serious because they don't have the, the, you know, the, the kind of confidence of money don't feel that they're able to take a chance on. And I think that's a little bit of something we've lost in filmmaking over the last 10 years. And I'm I'm done on that front. Does it help that John Carpenter was also an established director, though, before he decided to make this independent film? Because a lot of indie films are made by directors who haven't. Well, here's the thing. Like, John Carpenter is like the Bernie Sanders of, like, filmmakers. (laughs) You know, like, he just, he, he, he is not a big money guy. He will never be a big money guy. And even though he played in Hollywood a little bit, he ultimately always came back to his roots as an indie filmmaker because he made 
he made, you know, industry level, industry budget level movies mm-hmm. prior to this. But like this was his bread and butter was being like in control of everything on an indie set where basically, yeah, everything's on fire behind you and you still got to get the shot. Like that's that's where his heart was and that's spirit. where he shined the most. Huh. So even after not really getting along with the Hollywood bigwigs. He he went right back to his roots and continued to do what he knew, which was making low-budget, scary-slash- sort of sci-fi-inspired films. Well, and that you, you'll even see, like, modern filmmakers or, like, big-budget guys kind of, like, do one... You know, Coen Brothers are kind of famous. Oh, they'll, they'll do, have, like, a one-off. Yeah, they'll maybe. do, like, a big big couple films, and then they'll do, you know, like, in, Inside Lewin Davis, you know, like a movie that... Or a Serious Man or yeah, something. Yeah, Serious Man was something. So he'll they'll kind of break those up and try to go back to something that you... Because they're low-budget, you like you said, they can have more control that way. And, you know, I think the one director we've kind of looked at in the past that maybe broke this mold a little bit was like Christopher Nolan where his little indie flick is a $150 million inception, you know, like I did the Batman so I could have like my indie flick and it's fucking inception, you know, so, yeah. I mean, so sometimes they can break the mold but, you know, like other times, you know, some directors kind of, you know, do, you know, pay the bills so to speak but also, I mean, too much, so much of it is building relationships. I mean, one of the things you kind of see when you, like, work in film, and I'm not saying, like, I worked in film, but, you know, someone who's on the outskirts and, and saw what was going on, so much of it is based on relationships because you got to realize that, like, asking for $4 million to do something, like, you got to have, like, a lot of trust in those kinds of relationships. And so John Carpenter, you know, making Halloween and uh, making The Thing and, and, and doing his time in Hollywood had kind of established... To where he, you know, like you said, he kind of went home again and then yeah. just, I think, worked in some ways that made him feel comfortable in what he enjoyed. And he was like, you know, so it's not, you know, so it's not great Oscar worthy, you know, pictures, you know, like I'm going to get Roddy Piper together and fucking <laughs> make a movie. And you we're going to talk about yeah. how aliens are running everything. So this movie starts out. Oh, yeah, this movie. What is this movie? Yeah. Okay. So I just, this <laughs> yeah. movie starts out with a blind black preacher mm-hmm. on the corner. Screaming his gibberish. And yes. of course, it's very foretelling mm-hmm. because our preacher is telling us about how they are all around us. Mm-hmm. And we don't know who they are yet, but we will learn. Just mm-hmm. like in real life where all the preachers are talking about exactly. all that stuff. That's, exactly. that's, this movie is full of those, those little... Like, so this the, seems to happen in real life. What if this... Like, yeah. It's, yeah. it's full of that so then, stuff. So then cue Roddy Piper, who is basically a transient... Because we're dealing in a... I don't want to say post-apocalyptic era, but, you know, we're dealing in basically a, a you know, low unemployment um, dissemination of the middle class sort of America, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe like 10 years ago yeah. it's, type it's of situation. That, it's just the thoroughly post-Reagan, just like the world has is attempting to stratify itself systematically just like this aesthetic of the middle class being destroyed. Yeah. In the it, it wasn't it wasn't entirely an 80s thing, but by the 90s it's just it in some ways this movie it's 88, so I guess it's pretty close to the 90s, but Yeah. It's a little depressing to think that that mood has been around for so long yeah. now. Well, yeah. I'll be honest, you know, it tends to have like a Republican administration feel of a movie to it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, but you know, a little Nixon, a little Reagan, Maybe a little, little G.W. Bush, you know. <laughs> no, it just has that feel to it. So, yeah. So, I mean, the feel here is not a feel that we are unfamiliar with 30 years later. I mean, you've got, you know, the mulleted hair construction <laughs> worker guy. He can't find a job. He's a bit of a transient. People on hard times. There's people on hard times everywhere. 
Um, I mean, there is a union, which is kind of weird, but other than that... It's, well, yeah, we know how good those are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, so so he's he walks into the scene, he's looking for a job, you know, he's, he's, we're, we're given the idea that, you know, he's a straight shooter, hardworking guy, just down on his chips, mm-hmm. and he finds a job at a construction site, and we meet our second colorful character. Good old... Frank. Yeah. Actor, is it Keith David? Keith David. Yes. Keith David in a uh, mauve white beer? Yeah. Well, no, it's cool, because like, I like the scene where they meet, and then uh, the they character tells him... Yeah, they hit it bit. off, and he's like, hey, you know, um, I got a place, they got showers, food, and he's like, oh, okay, cool, and, you know, he just like kind of like seemingly blows him off, but then as Frank's <laughs> walking away, Roddy's walking behind him, he's like, I don't like no one following me, man. He's like... Well, I don't follow anyone until I know where they're going. And then they like have that like moment together, and then they're like bound eternally to each other after that. Yes. Like, that's just, yes. Oh man, it's you love one-liners too. Yeah. <laughs> and we see that this place with hot showers is literally a tent city. Yes. Um, you know, that's that's the accommodations for the evening. So we get like a real feel of where the economy is at. Um, it looked a lot like, I don't know, Seattle or Las Vegas. They still have tent cities everywhere. Like I said, not much has changed since this movie. <laughs> Uh, they're still arguing about the, you know, and then the people at the camp, they're angry at the man. They're angry that the middle class is being disseminated. They're, they're angry that their American dreams are falling to pieces. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's kind of, that's kind of how we start this film. Yeah. (laughs) Is this movie a remake of First Blood? (laughs) Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say, I was gonna look back and see if there was just a list of movies that start that way. The vagrant coming into town. A vagrant coming into town yeah. with a suspicious amount of muscle on him. Yeah, yeah. no, it. Um, and his own tools. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> his own tools. <laughs> no, there, there may actually just be. Where did he keep be, the shovel that he was uh, yeah. like, like, That's retractable. Yeah. 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 Your speed. All the best shovels are. Yeah. Oh, without question. I mean, why do you think he got fired? There's some. Uh, no, so uh, Sylvester Stallone <laughs> slash Roddy Piper <laughs> um, <laughs> settles into his uh, new digs, but not for too long. There's well, a, uh, so, a suspicious church. Yeah, so there's this suspicious church uh, that the, this our blind preacher seems to be preaching out front of a lot. And this, this catches Roddy's attention, this suspicious church. Um, and in this church, we, we will learn anyways, but, you know, everyone's watching TV in the tent city, getting their usual Kardashian schlock on, <laughs> and the transmission is broken, and we get <clears throat> a guy that basically says that they are battling our consciousness. Mm-hmm. Now, I will let you know that one of my favorite authors did a TED Talk that, you know, governments are still, like, waging war on our consciousness. His TED Talk was taken down for being too controversial. So this is a topic <laughs> that we are still struggling with Excellent. right here. Um, the government's war on consciousness? Yes, the government's war on consciousness. <laughs> okay. So basically, they, get, they get a little two-minute break between their usual schlock where this guy basically says that there's a, way, a war being waged on our consciousness through media and mm-hmm. through the people in charge. And then it breaks up and... And Roddy notices that there's some suspicious activity at this church and it's very late at night and that all this will probably come together in the next scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So (laughs) can I just before we get kind of going here, um, 
One of the cool things I liked about the movie, uh, like you said, 90 minutes, and the movie movie basically breaks down in, in little 30-minute chunks, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, the introduction of the world, Roddy establishing the relationship with Frank, and kind of discovering, you know, up until he discovers kind of the basic premise, uh, hinting at what the movie's going on. Uh, then we've got the, the shit breaks loose in the middle third. Uh, ending with the big fight scene that kind of unifies Frank and uh, and Nada because this character is Nada. Yeah, well, doesn't have a, no one actually references his name at any point in the movie, uh, so no one actually like there. He does have no he has no name. Um, He's a transient through and yes, through. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and then of course the last third is when you know they gotta break you know tear the mother down. So, but that first third of the movie, uh, one of the best things I like about it is that it does have this like this pace. Uh, so the movie opens up with Roddy, you know, walking half hand in pocket in stonewashed jeans because this is, uh, God damn, the <laughs> 80s. And, you know, he's walking around. But then I, I, one of the things I liked about it was that it does allow itself to kind of start slow. Right. It, it, it brings you into the world. Uh, and I do think that some of the best stuff with Roddy in it is uh, with the main character uh, is the way in which he interacts with the world, the way that they kind of represent him as Someone who is genuinely honest and willing to, you know, work for and and achieve through honesty and hard work what he wants. Well, and we established, too, that he's one of, like, the last guys that really holds on to that American dream. Like, Roddy still believes that you can work hard Mm -hmm. and you can make it in America, which, you know, most of the people around him, they they are jaded past that point. They think that this we're we're basically over. So he is he is, you know, like our beacon of white hope. Well, and I think I think <laughs> he's, he's a face, if you will. Well, but I think he, he kind of bounces off Frank as well because the things we learn about Frank is that you know it was tough. You know, he's a, he's from Detroit. You know, yes. and he he's he, he fell left on his hard. family. Yeah, he back left there. his family, and that kind of separates the two off from each other. You know, and uh, but I do think that the film kind of has. You know, obviously, I think portrays them in a good way, but then also the sense that, you know, like I said, there's just a kind of pacing, uh, a kind of deliberateness, and that has this like semi bluesy track that kind of goes through these uh, a lot of a lot of scenes of Roddy walking places. Yes, and um, but I like that. I enjoyed it. It's a cool way to kind of move the narrative along, and uh, it's once again, I think, kind of sets up this idea of someone moving through this world uh, without. And I think that kind of le- leads up later because maybe. You know, he hasn't been seeing what's been going on here. He's he's both, you know, separated from it and yet understands what it's about. And I, I got to say, I just like that beginning of the film. It's a, it's uh, having watched it for the first time, you know, for me, this movie's reputation preceded it. Okay. And when I first, you know, when you start watching this and seeing, knowing what this movie's famous for, and then you get the first 30 minutes when you're like, Jesus Christ, you know, like when's the action start? <laughs> uh, but, you know, Carpenter, I think, takes his time. And I think it's a... I think it's a choice that kind of elevates the movie to a certain extent. I think it does kind of show that, you know, John Carpenter, I think he knows what he's doing in the way that he's setting up the story. And I think he sets it up in a very responsible and deliberate way. Uh, Once again, I mean, he's limited by the resources he has at at his disposal. But at the same time, you know, when you make a a conscious decision, am I going to start this thing with with a car chase or am I going to lead in and build up the action over time? I think he makes the right strategic decision in how he relays the story. I disagree, but let's move on. Oh, no. Okay. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. Let's well, move no, on. I just, I, I think it takes a little too long simmering rather than building up. I mean, up to the per, up to the scene when he puts on the glasses, I don't want to give a- anything away. But I think that, that uh, to me, that uh, I think that the glasses sequence has uh, an, uh, has the effect it does, and I think it is very good. I think that's the best, uh, best part of the movie. It's is a good that, reveal. Is, uh, oh, yeah. That's no, really it's nice. cool. It's a cool, and it's well done. 
Well, and you definitely wait. You've definitely waited. To yeah. Get, well, like your theory, you there. know, like yeah. the, the, the time you put in, you're invested anyway. You know, yeah. like so. I kind of, I, I don't know. Maybe I was a little more susceptible to that. Uh, that scene actually, uh, I had never. I went into this movie pretty much with no preconceptions about what it was. Right. I uh, didn't really know much, but that scene I had seen before clips of online, mm-hmm. and it was pretty good. Fit well. <laughs> I had only Built seen the gif nicely. of him taking the glasses off and him still having the glasses on. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that is my full experience seen, of this movie prior to this weekend. I'd seen that one too. Yeah. Uh, but you'd heard classic. the bubblegum line before and the. I had heard a better version of it in, from in IT a, Crowd. <laughs> no, in Duke Nukem. Yeah, but that's what I mean. It's a lot of this stuff is permeated into. Oh, yeah, no. Into pop culture. Mm-hmm. Like, as small as this film feels, when you watch it, you're amazed at how much. Like other pop culture has drawn yes. from it. Mm-hmm. Dare I say iconic? No, it is covered from top it's to in- bottom with yeah. like weird lines mm-hmm. and just thing. That, and what makes it so strange? Again, it's that line. I didn't necessarily want to step into it before we got to it, but we may as well address it. And the line is: "I have come here to chew bubble gum and kick ass." Oh. And I'm all out of Which, in addition to completely failing the laws of parsimony <laughs> in its construction, is said with no affect whatsoever. No. Like not even not even a cool affect. It's just like Roddy read the line, which is even funnier once you read that he ad libbed it. Yes. Yeah, it's his or not even ad libbed it. He came up with that there was going to be a wrestling thing that Mm -hmm. he said so he even thought about this and then brought his character to it by just saying it like it was written on a page absolutely and it's become iconic almost probably as a result of that (laughs) because the pithy lines that are all over this movie are said with absolutely no fervor or snide or anything it is it's the exact opposite of aliens where in aliens there are a lot of these lines too Mm -hmm. um but they're all said with the uh i'm trying to think it's the um because they're either private hudson who's Mm -hmm. just whining all the time (laughs) so everything's got that affect they've got like the drop your linen line (laughs) and it's like said with this sass and that's just not here. Like, Roddy just says no, everything. There is, yeah. there is no sass in this film. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, really. Yeah. So, I love... Okay, so, like I said, we set it up. You know, he's, he found a job. He's working in the tent city. There's a suspicious-looking church with a suspicious preacher that seems to be preaching after hours. Yeah. And then there was our, our <laughs> weird break in TV time mm-hmm. where this message came through. Clip to the next day. And I, I, I really love this scene. Uh, you know, government finds the tent city and decides <laughs> they need to purge the tent city. So yeah. where he just found shelter, the uh, the cops basically come in with bulldozers, and we have a long extended scene of them just tearing the whole tent city down. Absolutely. And this is how cops handle tent cities nowadays. Not much has changed. Yeah. Yeah. Not a lot of feeling. Yeah. It's the yeah. Douglas MacArthur, MacArthur School of <laughs> dealing yeah. with uh, You know, like, yeah, this is this is, this is is pretty, you know, this is Occupy Wall Street. Like, mm-hmm. this is the same thing that goes on now. Um, but there's an extended, it's good, there's an extended scene of the cops just basically beating the homeless people and tearing their tents down. And I gotta say, you know, kind of on the side of the cops. I mean, I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just gonna put it out there. But go ahead, continue, so, sorry. And, uh... The de of our skyline. I'm telling yeah. you. You know, so so now Roddy's back 
backtracking on foot again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he does meander a little bit. Yeah. Oh, man. But he, but he comes back to that suspicious church, right? Yes, he does. Which has been cleared out by the police. Because he hears music. Yeah. And um, and what he finds is is a box, and he gets this box, and it might be something valuable. Well, he in finds it. a secret meeting because he finds that the music that he hears is just a recording they're playing out the window, and mm-hmm. that there's actually some people which yeah, meeting inside. Of all the conspiracies in this, conspiracies in this movie, that's easily my favorite. The <laughs> idea that churches just have like these fake choirs yeah. so that people can conspire inside the building. I think that. I mean, is that going on right now? It, Probably. It has to be. Okay. It's everything's real. No, it's, I just, no. Of all of all the little conspiracies in this movie, that might be actually my favorite. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, and then and then Roddy finds a box of sunglasses mm-hmm. in said church, and mm-hmm. this is when shit gets real. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I guess we're gonna take it into part two. So, part two is we learn what exactly is what going exactly on. these sunglasses do, and what we. As a society, with our consciousness kept asleep mm-hmm. through the demands of consumerism, mm-hmm. what we are not seeing. <laughs> through the Hoffman lenses. Yes. And he puts on the Hoffman. So, like I said, he's walking around because his tent city just got destroyed, so we're back to the pace in the streets. He puts the glasses on. This is, this is great. So he puts the glasses on. He mm-hmm. looks at a billboard. The world is now black and white, and mm-hmm. that billboard, which said, you know, go take a vacation with your loved ones somewhere nice <laughs> and beautiful, it just says obey. Yeah. And he looks at a newsstand, mm-hmm. and all the magazines, you know, all our home and gardens and fashion magazines, they basically all just have blank titles that say, you know, consume, uh, marry and reproduce, you know. No uh, free thought. Yeah, no, no free, thought. No thought. No thought. No, no thought. That's my favorite one. You see some guy hand some money for for a <laughs> for a magazine. The money just reads, I am your God. Yeah. <laughs> um and then and then the most disturb as if all this wasn't disturbing enough, because he does a couple double takes, puts the yeah. glasses on, Great takes them physical off. Physical comedy, yeah. him like whipping these things on and off real yeah. quick. Yeah, I mean, because yeah. he's he's pretty overwhelmed by what he's just seen with the Hoffman glasses on. But then, then the icing on the cake is he sees the man who is purchasing a magazine at this magazine stand mm-hmm. is not a man. But he is some sort of alien. Mm-hmm. <gasps> some sort of odd, disgusting looking beast with no lips. Yes. Yes. So I found it weird that he assumes, or he, he just kind of knows, that the glasses are presenting him reality instead of the other way around. Like, why wouldn't he think that the glasses are filtering to some sort of conspiracy well, world. Because we've that had really all exist. this weird foretelling about, you know, them being out there. So maybe just the collective unconscious was just ready for that kind of surprise. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to look deeper into to Roddy's character. <laughs> he doesn't emote much. Yeah. Um, he doesn't give us a lot to work with, like but, I said. But, you know, as the, true, as the true believer in the American spirit, I guess he just believes whatever's presented to him there we go uh, yeah. i mean the premise the premise of the of the hoffman glasses is that great maybe it anyway. just worked well for film pacing you just <laughs> automatically because he bought like he i assure you he buys in 
as soon as he puts those glasses on. Like, he knows. Well, he doesn't even just buy he goes, in. He goes from from not knowing any of this to mur- murdering what are presumably innocent people. Yes. Could in be about 15 people. minutes. Yeah, pretty quick. <laughs> pretty quick. <laughs> oh, it's faster than that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's true. That's true. It's pretty quick. No, but the... Uh, <laughs> no, I just... What, what the actual... I mean, this is why the last thing you should ever do is consider movies in this way. This is what makes lore happen. Um, but... But to just look, to consider what these lenses are doing, mm-hmm. like even if there is some sort of subliminal message coming off of any of these screens, mm-hmm. it's the idea that the message can be recoalesced to mean whatever is said there. And it's so strong that it actually affects him auditorily because he sees a, a cop siren at one point and can suddenly hear that it's saying sleep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, it is It is not, it's not showing, like, an alternate vision of anything. It is, like, fully re-aggregating everything around mm-hmm. him. Um, the physics of which are insane, but... But it, it's a good are, movie effect. Yeah, no, yeah. It's, yeah. it's fine it's for very, the purposes really of the movie. Yeah. It's just the... Yeah, he's become immersed, if yeah, you will. Yeah, so basically, he is, he is now awakened to the fact that all of the media that he consumes, and even a lot of the people that are running things are not what they appear. And uh, he takes action almost immediately. Mm -hmm. Oh, boy. (laughs) His first action, this is great. So, like I said, we we just went through this newsstand. He does a couple of these double takes with the glasses. It goes into the grocery store, and has a freak-out moment when he sees the woman... And he's like, he's like, he's like, you look like something like a hot tar thrown on your face or something, you know? <laughs> and she like, like talks into her, into her, into her watch and says he's been recognized. And then he stumbles out and then he gets confronted by police on the street. No, 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 no. He doesn't just stumble out. He insults this lady, mm-hmm. turns to someone else, mm-hmm. reemphasizes how ugly this person is. Yeah. And then gets in a yeah, fight you, with you're the right. shopkeep. Yeah. Yeah. About how ugly she and is. She's yes. just shopping for groceries. Yeah. Like, <laughs> she's not doing anything nefarious. I'm on Team Alien here. <laughs> <laughs> the cops chase him, and we, we find that, you know, some of the cops are aliens. Some of them are actually, like, real people that just aren't onto the scheme yet, you know. Mm. Um, well, some humans have bought in. And some humans have bought in because that's where the money is. Yeah. And uh, so, so like, you know, there's the, yeah, we get the cops chasing him. We do the grocery store debacle. And then, like, one scene later, he is, like, in a bank with a shotgun mm-hmm. and delivers the penal- that, that, that line that just has gone down in history. Like, yeah. like David said, <laughs> no inflection, no enthusiasm, sunglasses on, shot, shotgun cocked. Yeah. You know, I'm here. I've come to chew gum mm-hmm. and kick ass. All out of gum. Yeah. And then he just starts shooting things. Yes. Mayhem ensues. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I don't even know why he was robbing that particular bank. <laughs> I think he may have just been freaking out. But, um, yeah, he just basically starts shit immediately. Yep. And that does not stop for a little while. No, no it does not. No, it does not. So, so uh, but yeah, as he as he's getting chased, because it, it should say that the genesis is as he leaves the... He leaves the, the the shopping center. The police come. He kills the police, grabs their weapons, goes into a bank, sees more of these creatures mixed in with the humans, starts murdering the creatures, and then gets, of course, chased by the police. Now, it should be said that he is he is making decisions here. So as he sneaks out the back of this bank somehow, that's not being patrolled yet, um, 
He <laughs> meets a police officer that that appears to him with the glasses on to be a human. All right, so he's like, drop through weapons, and then he's always oh, tell him to uh, beat it or hit the hit yeah, the, you know, like. And Something retarded. But he gets the guy, but he lets the guy go because yeah. you can see that he's an actual human. Uh, and so, I mean, he, he is displaying, I mean, if he's bought into, into the reality that the glasses are showing to him, he's clearly still kept a part of his per, of the of the humanness of it that he's only killing what appear to him to be aliens and not other humans. Uh, but still, he kidnaps um, a woman uh, and has her, uh, has her uh, drive him away from the scene and... Um, you know, I guess now it's the movie kind of like cools down a little bit from yeah. the Yeah, so the woman, she's pretty high up in the broadcasting uh, world. You mm-hmm. know, he picks her up from the TV station. Holly. Holly, yes, played by Meg Foster, who's got some creepy blue eyes. She oh, yes. yes. She's got a weird face. Yeah, in general. Just across the board. She's more alien-like than... Yeah, alien. she's very alien-like. <laughs> and uh, there is there is some excellent stunt work here because, you know, he tries to make friends with uh, Holly and she's not really buying it. And uh, she essentially just pushes him out of her house on the hill's window, and he tumbles down half a mountain. I, I will say that the way that that scene progresses is, or not progresses, how it resolves is very good from just an expectation yeah. perspective. Yeah. They do a very good job of making it seem like something more poignant is about to occur. Yeah, and it's it's funny because, like I said, the action's cooled off a bit, and then this is, I mean, this was probably one of the biggest, like, stunt jobs in the whole, yeah. in the whole movie was, you know, this woman pushing him out this window. It is dramatic. Like I said, he falls down literally half a mountain. Um, we will learn later that it's very hard to put Roddy Piper down, so he's <laughs> he's relatively unscathed after after this this fall, but um, but you know he realizes that they're after him now, and he has some work to do. So he needs to go find his box of glasses, and he needs to share this information with the other people that he knows. Mm-hmm. Other people meaning Frank, right? Because that's essentially the, yeah, only, the only person, person who he that he knows. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, basically, literally. Yeah, in the it's world. literally the only other person he knows. So, but he's got some more walking to do before of he does course, that. Of course, of course. But he goes. So he goes back, and he. Uh, the reason he goes is because he's lost his glasses. Like he doesn't have his glasses anymore, and it turns out that with the box of glasses that he had, uh, and just to kind of clue into the character, um, in an alley when he first gets the one pair out, he hides the box in some in a garbage can. Right, so he, he takes the garbage out, puts the box in. Put some garbage back on it, and it's also a goofy little scene as well. When he goes back to where he the, he hid the glasses and the garbage, of course, the garbage has picked up. Em- picked up, but luckily the garbage truck is like <laughs> twenty yards away from him, and he runs and he goes and he he opens it up and he gets in, and of course as it drives, and off, we do and a little dumpster garbage. diving. Yeah, it's, and, it's, you know, I didn't really understand hole. why they lifted the back as they were driving away, but I think for the only scene of him in the dumpster uh, in the garbage can going. Oh shit! As it balls him right. out as well, I think it was. Oh, you mean just why it has that functionality? No, why? Why would they start driving away while they're lifting up the, or why would they lift up the back with their right gar- with they the garbage truck at a sixty degree angle? Yeah. Well, they probably oh, thought man. the door was closed, but he opened it to get in. I don't but, know, but anyway, lift it before you start. Driving. We get an extensive dumpster diving. <laughs> yeah, we got to move on, man. We can't. Yeah. We can't get, we'll be here a while. Whoa, <laughs> a plot hole. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I did think I that was. I did think that was weird. Didn't affect the plot. He could have just grabbed the glasses and still been in the garbage truck. No, I tell you, <laughs> no. It's for. The, I think that they wanted a laugh, and I think it's him getting him tumbling out of a garbage chute, going, "Oh shit!" I think that was the joke. And but he does was, find his box of glasses, so you know it was not all in vain. It was not all not all for naught. Yes. Thankfully, Frank shows up. And Frank shows up. You know, and Frank, being the good guy he is, he's like, "Listen, here's some money. Just get your shit together and stop freaking out on oh, me." It's, it's, because he goes to see him at the job site yeah. and Frank's like, fuck off, man. You're going to get me arrested because, you know... <laughs> you didn't you, show up for you work. Did, you did just kill a dozen people yesterday. And yeah, he didn't show up for work. And so, but when he finds him again, he does toss him some money. But of course, Nada's got something to show Frank. Boy, does he. Yeah. But he's going to take some convincing. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> an amazing amount of convincing. Yeah, so there's, there's an excellent six and a half minute sequence. Yes. Prefaced with... Some of the worst negotiation <laughs> I've ever seen between two human beings. So basically, not, Nada not, goes up to Frank like, and he tells him, "Put on the glasses." Put on the glasses. Put he the glasses. gives no indication. Like it, I understand from Nada's perspective, if this was just at a party and a weird thing, yes. if Nada didn't want to ruin the surprise, yes, no. But in literally any other context, the fact that he is adamantly unwilling yes. to give any hint about why he needs to put these glasses on and all all Frank does the whole time is it not even he doesn't even just go like no weirdo he goes like no I'm not no, going to I'm do not this I'm putting the glasses on and this this ensues <laughs> into a sloppy hand to hand combat yes. scenario that goes on probably longer than like I, like what other movie scene fight goes like feels <laughs> yeah. longer than this? Well, but also too, there's this between two people. I can't think of one. Yeah, no. Yeah, just straight up between two people that have like no weapons. They're just normal dudes in their work boots, mm -hmm. throwing punches, <laughs> kicking each other. I mean, they beat the crap out of each other, and the whole time. It's put on the glasses, and Frank's standing his ground, not putting on the glasses. And, and no one's trying to get away either. Uh, there's a scene <laughs> where Frank actually gives Nada a hand, hand up, hand up, and up, up, yeah. so that he can kick him again. Yes. I think Frank one time picks up the glasses, only to throw them away from yes. him. Right? <laughs> like, to throw them away. So Roddy's got to roll his fucking bleeding ass up, pick up the glasses, and walk over to him again. I mean, this thing, but this fight has it all. Headlocks, suplexes, There's knees to the, multiple knees to, to the, the groin. groin. Like, it's got it all. It's got, you know, beating with the two by four. It's everything that you would want out of a construction yard fight. Absolutely. And don't ever get because real people in real fights just never fight that good. Yes. Yeah. Well, and... I and mean, because I, skull fractures are serious. Yeah, you know, are, like, are a real thing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Well, and I mean... Roddy Piper, the one place where him being who he is comes in handy is probably in a fight scene like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which also did not come into play. There was a scene where a policeman was beating somebody up in an earlier scene, and um, that did not look... That was not sold real well. Mm -hmm. So having that juxtaposed with this helped quite a bit. Um, I mean, I don't know how Keith's, David con how Keith David's contract is, but I'm sure Roddy, um, if he has a stunt double, doesn't get used very much. Yeah. So this is the great thing. So after this this extenuating fight, both of these guys are so beat up they can barely walk. <laughs> Keith 
you know, Roddy finally puts the glasses on Keith while they're both basically rolling on the ground in agony because they've spent so long beating each other. And Frank literally buys in instantaneously <laughs> yeah. the yeah. same way that Roddy did. Mm-hmm. Um, th- no, no question about it. I mean, puts on the glasses and they're back to being best buds. And there, there, are, <laughs> there are some really great scenes. Like, for one thing, you see them walking together. And their faces are all distended <laughs> and being beaten. Yeah, like when they and show up like at the limping. hotel, yeah, and they're just, the, yeah. yeah, they're just puffy and yeah. Uh, just like, we, we need a room. Yeah, yeah. we yeah. need a room. Need like, a room. <laughs> like, walking up to the guy. Oh God. <laughs> well, and like all things too, you know, they get up to the room, and then what do two guy, two bloody beaten guys do? Crack open a couple beers. <laughs> Swelling goes down, all that, you know. So like I said, all this all this physical output, and literally Keith just buys into it immediately the same way Roddy did. So, you know, it's just like, why? Why did you guys have to go through all the trouble? But mm-hmm. hey, you got a great fight scene out of it. <laughs> so Which, then... Well, okay, just once yeah. again. Once again, like, this fight scene was not something, like, that... You know uh, uh, that uh, Carpenter wanted to do right. This wasn't something he's like. I'm going to do this five and a half epic <laughs> semi wrestling fight scene in an alley, and it's going to be the centerpiece of this movie that people will recognize. I mean, for one of the most famous and iconic things in this movie is this fight, and it was something that the two actors themselves came up with and rehearsed, like like had put this together, like worked out. Like, no, we've got to, we've got to, we really need to switch things up about halfway through the fight. Why don't you knee me in the groin four times so that we could really get this, let this sink in. And that, you know, the director's like, you know, let's do it. Like, let's make this happen. And it's just something that, you know, I thought was just endearing overall to this movie, but at the same time, like not pre-planned. But like, still, this isn't something that those, we went into it like, saying. This is not the most spectacular fight scene ever filmed, but this is definitely one of the most memorable fight scenes in <laughs> all of movie history. Mm-hmm. It's just ridiculous. Well, like you said, the stakes are so low. I know. Like, <laughs> put the glasses on. No. Like, is there a compromise? No. Like, <laughs> And then, um, so after that, they're recovering in the hotel room and they run into somebody else with a pair of glasses on. Mm-hmm. And he lets them know that there is a special secret meeting at the church tonight. Oh, yes. Excellent. And, uh, and the movie actually starts wrapping up pretty uh, quickly from here because, you know, you would think that these guys would need multiple days to maybe recover or do things out and about after this fight. I know I did a jujitsu tournament. I did... I did five three-minute rounds. It took me about three days out, and I did not get kicked or kneed in the groin at any <laughs> point during that, you know. But anyway. It's no. all about that cardio. Yeah. yeah. Did you, how, many, how many beers did you drink? Uh, how, many, I, how many MGDs did you have? That's the thing. That's well, the key. I, yeah, maybe I needed to be drinking more beers. But anyways, they're, uh, they're prepped and ready to go to this secret meeting tonight because, man, like I said, they have bought in, and they yeah. are ready like, to take this alien scum that is controlling our brains down. Yeah. Secret underground meeting? Sign me up. Yes. Let's yeah. do this. And so, they go and... So they go to the secret meeting. We, we learned that they've upgraded from glasses to contacts, <laughs> yeah. less side effects. Yes. Which I was disappointed by because those glasses are great for yeah. how dorky and plasticky they are. <laughs> They are they are just the right shape. There we yeah, go. Mitchell's yeah. got a yeah. Mitchell's got a pair going right here. Yeah. No, they are. They're so ugly. 
They're, they are <laughs> they are so designed to be fit over other glasses. Mm-hmm. Like they're just they're that kind of shades. Oh man, it's the kind of shades I like. All utility. <laughs> so our secret meeting becomes not so secret. The cops basically come, yeah, bust so, up the party, <laughs> so like we, almost immediately. We find out. Oh, so so we go to this meeting or the, the secret society's ad. We find they got weapons. They got a plan. They got they they clue them in on all the information they need to execute it. And then it gets busted up by the police and it ended immediately. Yeah. Like, all within 10 minutes of itself. So, of course, yeah. Roddy Piper needs to take it onto himself. Yes. To take care of this master plan. So, so these aliens, they have little wristwatches that allow them to literally teleport. So, when shit gets bad, they can just be like, I'm out of here. And they click the button. I mean, that at least explains gold watches. That's yeah. the only real justification I've ever heard for why you would own a gold watch. Mm-hmm. That you can teleport. I would yeah. own a gold watch if I could teleport uh, good, other places. I would consider it. Yeah. 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 Um, Without that, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And, uh, you know, they, they get their hands on, on one of these watches and they teleport into whatever the compound is mm-hmm. where the aliens do their transacting. Because, After murdering another 30 people on the yeah, way. Yeah, there's, there's some good video game sequences here. And now um, <laughs> this draws back a lot to uh, an earlier masterpiece by Carpenter called Assault on Precinct 13, yes. which is basically just a bunch of cops this is the whole movie. There's a bunch of cops in a police station, and there is a gang slowly getting closer and closer trying to take them out. Mm-hmm. It's a phenomenal like exercise in suspense. But there's some of that similar, the cops are coming in, and they're shooting them, and you almost feel like you're in a video game for a few minutes, like the way you're going up and down mm-hmm. and getting the cops around the corners. You know, there's some gunfire. Mm-hmm. But they get into where the aliens are, um, you know, with this little gold watch. They, of course, don't know where they are, but uh, it's slowly, uh, we're slowly filled in by some enthusiastic humans that have recently bought in with the aliens because we learned that it's really the best position to be in because you (laughs) like money, don't you? Yeah. I mean, mean, (laughs) their chauffeur around the place is a... uh, is a bearded schmuck of a guy who was in the tent camp. Yes. Yes. One of the vagabonds. He He was their foreman, wasn't he? No, no, no. He I was, was no. He was at the construction. No, he was one site. of the two people uh, watching the TV. He was one of the two people watching the TV when it mm. phases out. Man, I got yeah. damn bullshit. With all the yeah, that guy. No, I don't. I think the foreman's a different dude. I'll, I'll I, look that I up. I thought I was but, the foreman. Maybe but anyway, so this, this was, guy, this guy recognizes no. him from the tent Sorry. city, and he's like, "Oh, you guys <laughs> bought in too. Good choice." <laughs> and he's giving him a little tour. He's showing him how the aliens go off world and. They're basically running all the broadcasting, and yeah. this is the uh, Bond villain fill-in here. Yeah, right? yeah. Portion of the film. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was a little confused about how this guy recognizes both of them, but he doesn't recognize that uh, Nada is wanted for murder for killing all these people. <laughs> there when, are holes in this movie. When Frank recognized that right, right away. Yes. But whatever. <laughs> well, no, but not only that. I mean, I want to know what exactly this vagabond brought to the table <laughs> that he's like yeah you, you know we'll buy it what does he bring what does he bo- what is the what are the aliens getting from him you know like he's like i got three tramps that i can manipulate into coming with us and they're like get this guy a tuxedo and some thousand dollar glass champagne like this guy's clearly one of the top leaders we need to be convinced you know there's a cool little thing that we're uh we're led on to too because you know climate change is still an issue for us you know mm-hmm. we we deny it we claim it's not happening well in this movie, they postulate that climate change is actually the way that the aliens are 
acclimatizing the air so that it is breathable to them. Yes. So basically, they are manipulating the climate change so that it is a more conducive atmosphere for the alien race. So yes. I thought that was a fun play on yet another issue that we're still dealing with mm-hmm. that this movie addresses. The movie had some foresight. Or just some sight. Yes. <laughs> I mean, the stuff was all going on yeah. back then. There was no, they were, we were losing the ozone layer down in Antarctica Absolutely. back then. Yeah, there was some big issues. Aliens don't CFCs. like ozone. CFCs, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if I know one thing about aliens. <laughs> they hate ozone. Yeah, they hate ozone. <laughs> they can only deal with two O's. When you had three O's, that's too much. <laughs> this was also, this movie was also filmed slightly before LA military was completely militarized. They hadn't gone through that heat situation where they you know took the bank with the full armor and the mm-hmm. things so this before pol- the uh, king LA king yep. right yeah okay. so um so the police still carry six shooters which i thought was funny mm-hmm. um because they are way more oh. militarized than that also they're like full size fuck off black hawk 357 revolver like they're not snub nose revolver oh, yeah, no. they're like massive yeah. guns yes. yeah. yeah they are full on hollywood <laughs> weapons which i thought was kind of weird um, but yeah, so basically, you know, Roddy and, uh, his, his new best friend, Frank, they're, they're working their way through the, the alien, uh, you know, the alien underground. They basically, you know, have this fat guy tell them everything they need to know. Yep. Yeah. So they find out that they are in the same station that broadcasts the alien signal. Yes. So of course they have to make their way up to where the signal is getting broadcasted. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know they they encounter some some flack for this. They you know take a whole office hostage, try to get information out of. Um, also, there's just there's just basically an office building underground somewhere, yeah, full yeah. of TV producer people, most of whom are not aliens, which we know because they would have fucking murked them if they were. <laughs> um, it's just. Uh, there's just like there's a ton of people. There's a lot of people in this conspiracy. Yes, yes like a there lot is. of people. Yes, there is are conspiring here. <laughs> you know, and uh, and Roddy at the end, of course, goes and shoots out the bead that's sending out all of the signals. And even though our our blue eyed freak that worked there that rescued him earlier, she's well, like, "Don't do it. You don't understand," because she's clearly already bought in. Yep. Um. It's a nice house. Yeah, it's still a house on the hills. Yeah, I mean, man. it's going to cost a lot to get that sliding glass door replaced, but hey, she didn't have to throw him out the window. Yeah. Um, there are better ways to handle that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and basically, we shoot out the ray, and uh, it is revealed to everyone uniformly that we are surrounded by aliens. Mm-hmm. And that's how the movie wraps up. This is not. This movie does not take a long time to sit through. It's, it's pretty quick, yeah. and it does have holes, but it is awesome. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I do like that they destroyed the alien uh, hypno ray with like a with like a pocket thirty two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it pulls out. I mean, probably the smallest gun in the movie. <laughs> yeah, destroys the alien. You know, uh, uh, sleep ray. Well, and specifically, yeah. No, he he pulls out what's like a cufflink pistol. Yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> And this is after having dropped a Desert Eagle 19, yes. which is literally like the largest pistol on the planet. <laughs> so that no, was a pretty good contrast. Yeah. But also it should be said, too, that um, the woman uh, shoots Frank in mm-hmm. the stairwell. They, they think they're together. She shoots him. And then, of course, uh, uh, Nada himself gets shot. And, of course, our hero shot is him on the ground bleeding and somehow managing the strength to flip off. The uh, the helicopter yeah, full the of helicopter aliens to him as the as the signal yes. blows up, 
But then also immediately, I mean, the signal is gone, right? And it's not just the idea that we can see that the broadcasters of the news are now aliens. But the final sequence of the film, the final last scene of the film, and where we get the fact that this is a B-movie, is we we get a naked, topless woman (laughs) engaged in sex. And then when she looks around, all of a sudden she sees us. She looks down into the fact that she's been riding this alien. And she's like, he's like, what's wrong, baby? And that's, our, that's yeah. the end of the Instantaneous movie. Instantaneous. Yeah, right yeah. Let's go to the credits. Um, really, really good stuff in that. Uh, but I, I think you're right, Nicole, that this is a good movie, despite the fact that it's clearly a bad movie. <laughs> now, why, is this, why is this the case? Um, I mean, Mitchell, is this a good movie or a bad movie? Or maybe as I postulated, is it both? Uh, I think it's both. I agree with that. There are a lot of holes in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> the acting is something uh, for most of it. <laughs> they, they, um, it's definitely acting. But I, I, liked, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. It's not It's not too long. It doesn't overstay its welcome. It does exactly what it sets out to do. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I liked it. Uh, this good. movie fits directly into the pantheon of 80s film a la Schwarzenegger mm-hmm. for me. Like, okay. I just... That, that whole... The whole era of, I guess, later Stallone. Because First Blood, we'd mentioned First Blood earlier. Yeah. Though it does start out exactly the same, First Blood has a problem where it's also not a great movie, but it is also too serious to be, like, really enjoyable mm-hmm. in a lot mm-hmm. of its, in a lot of spots. It's harder to laugh at. Like, their dialogue <laughs> is still atrocious. <laughs> but it's just, it's, it's a little too serious because um, the premise is a little too real. Mm-hmm. Um Aside from the murder. Like, I, I, I mean specifically the protagonist there, I guess. I'll backpedal that whole statement that movie's unrealistic and sucks. So, the... Um, so you think They Live is a better version? <laughs> yes. Yeah, more realistic No, absolutely. Yeah. They, live, they Live is the right cross-section of the two. In the same way that a lot of... Um, in in later later era, Seagal gets that way. Where it's just... It's a conspiracy that's almost something you can believe... And then there's fighting on top well, of it. Above the law is so good. Or so bad, it's good as well. Well, that's, you know, so that's that's one of the things where, I mean, I, I do agree with you. It does fit in that 80s camp. And I do love me some bad action 80s films. I won't lie. But none of them tackle, like, as many ridiculous political problems as this one. No, I mean, this not one. True. Well, not, not as one, many, no. No, I mean, this one literally tackles the issue with the American dream. It tackles the battle on our consciousness. It tackles how we are diverted by consumerism. It tackles the dismantling of the middle class. Immigration, because he hates aliens. It, yes. <laughs> it tackles it tackles climate change in a cute way. Jingoistic nationalism. It, yeah. It, it tackles nepotism. Like, it tackles all these really... Like I said, it, this is like... Carpenter's like the Bernie Sanders of independent yeah. films here. It tackles all these real big money issues in a very clever way about you know how aliens are basically just spoon feeding us all this stuff to keep to uh, to keep us from focusing on what's really important and um like i said it's it's a campy way of approaching it but it is effective which is why we can still watch this movie now and not find it just total asinine crap because like the undertones of the the like political statements that Carpenter was trying to point out, they're all still things that we fight with today. Like none of these problems have been resolved since this movie has and come out. And never will. And never will, most likely. Well, I think that well, I, I do absolutely agree with your analysis there. That that the the problems that people kind of identify with capitalism and the the way that it kind of 
you know, is inhumane in a very real sense, I think is something that is problematic. And yet, you know, we could kind of see how like, you know, Roddy Piper, you know, this, this guy, I mean, cause I mean, if there's one R word that you could use to describe Roddy Piper, what would that be? Would rowdy. that be rowdy? Yeah, rowdy, Roddy Piper. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, but like, you know, he is in a weird way, you know, like, I mean, obviously professional wrestler, right. Is where he gets it. And in a certain extent, that's like a middle, that, that is like a, like a, like a lower income, middle class white person activity. So that's an everyman superstar. Right it's every man. Oh, yeah. Okay. So Barth gonna, wrote about this a lot. Yes. Barth, okay. Yes. Yeah, so this is, I'm going to put on my, uh, my asshole. I'm not saying hair. we can't analyze it. I'm just yeah. saying that it plays to a particular demographic that, that this movie, uh, you know, I think reflects on too, because those are the people being oppressed by this consumerist regime here. Well, but that there's in a weird way that, you know, that, that, you know, wrestling is this kind of approximation, right? Capitalism is devo devoid of the kind of larger instincts that art can appeal to. And it at the same time has this kind of like, you know, genuine, um, this, this genuine appeal to something that you know to be false or fake and yet can then but you're allowed to revel in it because of that. And it makes sense that I think that this kind of moves forward. Because you talked about the guy named Roland Barthes, the very famous French philosopher. He, structuralist. Yeah, structuralist. He, he, he loved... He loved like the, he wrote the extensively on yes. professional wrestling, and he because because that was very popular by the uh, plebs in France in during France. his time yes. in France. Yes, and that it kind of you know both is a part of what capitalism is, and yet at the same time is something oddly kind of admirable about it. And I think that what a lot of what we kind of see about this is is that you know much like. Churchill's kind of, you know, democracy is not a great system, but it's the best of what it's we've best got. We got. And like capitalism, I think we all tend to have a, a general approach too, which is that, you know, there's a lot of like inherent like shittiness that's within capitalism that can kind of, you know, it's negative externalities, if we will. And yet at the same time, we, you know, we're not embracing or fully looking to other types of, of systems to kind of replace it. And so movies like this that can kind of permeate even, if you will, at a kind of base lesser than blue collar yeah. simplistic kind of way it still resonates with a message that you know uh, you know uh, uh, you know someone who who has a master's degree in political science and has read marx or, is kind or of an like ec yeah. economist yes you know well, but that people who are educated <laughs> can kind of watch this movie and say you know like i mean i can see its point and yet at the same time it's i think it does have that appeal that we all kind of you know, we live in a system that, you know, at some times will not protect us from environmental degradation, that has problems with monopolization and increasing uh, wealth of a wealth to, disparity. To an absurd degree, wealth disparity. And at the same time is a system that has built within it a certain amount of uncaring in its victims. But yet it is still a system that you can work from the bottom to a top. I mean, not everybody can, but it is a system that does allow that to a certain extent. And you gotta sell out to get there. Yeah. and it, But I, I think that, that it has this it's kind of universal appeal. Yeah, it has a universal kind of appeal yeah. to it. And I think that it hits that in a very, very fun and like I said, in, a, in an intentionally fun kind of way. And that's what I, I, thought, I find to be so in, in, engaging in this film as well. I mean, you guys I mean, is there other kind of films out there that you kind of see that kind of critique the kind of you know, socio 
political economic views okay. kind of come from there this? Is, there is a Godard film, and I haven't selected yet because I thought it might be a little too foreign, but Tout Vous Bien, <laughs> yeah. which is even before this, deals with a lot of the same issues, and it was one of those where it's like you watch it and you're like, wow, we're still fighting about the same things that we always have, essentially, like workers' rights. And Yeah, the organizer oh, has, a good, yeah. has a lot of this stuff as well. Oh, well, my next... My next pick is gonna. Oh, it's gonna okay, reflect. Right, yeah. Okay, I got a, I got a okay. few things I want to talk it's about. It's very still. much in the same old shit, vein, but yeah, Ryan. <laughs> no, I mean, but there, but the, I mean, did you guys have any other films that kind of like critique this kind of situation, the societal? I mean, I mean the, the super the obvious just, example is The Matrix. Okay, The Matrix. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I I read multiple reviews that says The Matrix is garbage compared to this movie. <laughs> They're wrong. <laughs> That's not an accurate <laughs> statement. <laughs> I don't care what era you go forward in time to. The Matrix is going to be a well. better movie okay. than this one. Uh, anything else, you guys? Like or? I said, mine was the Tout Vous Bien, which mm-hmm. is a Godard film from the 70s with Jane Fonda. I feel it, it. I mean, it tackles it more of a Godard way than an actionist way, but it, it tackles like very similar principles. Right. Speed Racer. <laughs> that actually does though the consumerism it like yep. he, it's yep. you know the pressure to sell out yep. and it okay. does tackle a lot of the similar okay, cool. similar things Star Wars as a concept <laughs> that's a bit of a stretch I don't know Star Wars <laughs> the new version of Star Wars has actually re-become an institution mm-hmm. there's a resistance oh, I have to watch the new one okay uh, so here's the spoilers it's episode 4 plus what I'm about to say so there is there's a resistance, but now they're fighting the First Order. But apparently the Republic doesn't care that there's a Nazi organization running around uh, the, the galaxy. So there's still a resistance to a seemingly banal threat. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's an even bigger Death Star. So we still, we have now institutionalized anti-institutionalism mm-hmm. that bleeds over from the original Star Wars trilogy because the original Star Wars trilogy if nothing else is about hard work and every man Luke Skywalker <laughs> being betrayed by the system that he was complicit with up until the moment he realized he has badass force powers yeah um, <laughs> So I'm going to say Star Wars is absolutely in this. Okay. And that okay. Star Trek is literally the exact opposite <laughs> of this. That's true. That Star, that, that well, Star Trek can be defined by how rules gung-ho it is. Yeah. Um, okay, so I think the other kind of main theme about this is that not only is it a kind of critique about these kinds of issues, uh, but also it, there's an idea that the structure itself is manipulating people to be a part of this. I think there's this idea of slavery or that we're, we're slave. You know, like I said, the money is probably one of the best ones. I love the obey sign. No thought is my favorite one. This yeah. one like no thought. But then uh, when he looks down at the money and he's, this is your God, right? The idea of consumerism being all around. But the point is, is that, you know, the, the role of people in this is that they have been enslaved by it somehow, right? Like you are now a part of this. You're feeding it. Um, you know, you serve the system. And yeah. I think that that's a cool message. And you do see some things like this, like the Matrix, right? People are are slaved into this, right? You are you, They are enslaved, if you will, right? And uh, But I do want to talk about a film that, and, com- and contrast this with it. Um, and the film I'd compare this to also would be Fight Club. And I think that Fight Club has an important deviation. Now, to me, Fight Club is really, really high up there. I really, really enjoy that movie. And I think that after watching They Live, I had been watching a show that's been popular. The second season just came out. The show is called Mr. Robot. Has anyone heard of this film I or seen any of it? I have heard of, but I want not to watch seen it, it, but I haven't gotten okay. around to it. Well, unfortunately, I'm probably a, a 
probably one of the only two people in America that that hate this show. I find it very terrible in many, many different ways. It's inane. The dialogue is shit. The uh, voiceover is childish. And um, does it have a laugh track? Uh, no. Well, yes, it's got Christian Slater in it. That's its laugh track. And uh, on top of that, as well, the one thing I, I, the one problem I have with this, and how I don't think Mr. Robot has improved, is that they have this sense that we have been enslaved, right? That we are serving the system. And one of the best things about Fight Club and where it deviates from They Live is that Fight Club doesn't assume that we have been enslaved, that this has been the system has been imposed on us against our will. No, Fight Club Fight Club says that we have intentionally chosen this system. That this we do, that we don't serve the system. The problem is is that the system serves us and that we have voluntarily gone into this arrangement based on our own urges and based on our inability to desire something greater than it. Than it. Well, we, we, ch- we have chosen slavery, and Fight Club is more about an internal awakening rather than someone tearing down the curtain well, for more, us to it's see. It's more on the consciousness, like because Tyler Durden's conscience is free. Like yes. He's not enslaved by like having to keep the job and stuff, where all of us, a lot of us, you know, like in the royal we, you yes. know, like in general, <laughs> people, you know, people's, people's like, conscious ability to see past it is is um it's weighed down by the fact that they you know they have a mortgage and they need to go to their jobs they're mm-hmm. weighed down by this consumerism and can't free their mind enough to see themselves beyond uh what's actually there Absolutely. where like Tyler is is basically the embodiment of that you know that level of consciousness um, so it takes it it takes it more on like a cerebral level. I think it tackles this. Well, but it puts us squarely on us, right? Mm-hmm. If, if we are enslaved, right? No one's enslaved us. Like I didn't choose to take, you know, nobody forced me to take on student debt, you know, like this wasn't something that like <laughs> like somebody did at gunpoint to me. I didn't get shipped over from my land of prosperity to the land of debt, you know, against my will. Right. People have chosen this kind of existence. And the idea, once again, is that, you know, you need, you know, we need to tear the system down so that people can be free. And I think that there's a larger point to make, which is that these people wouldn't know what to do with freedom if you fucking gave it to them as a birthday present. Trump 2016. Thank you. Yeah. So but like Fight Club is about what, like, what are you fighting? You're not fighting the system itself necessarily. You first have to conquer yourself. Yeah, exactly. The servile you know, slave-like mentalities, you know, the Nietzschean slave ethos that we've adopted to and become comfortable with. That is what you need to destroy first. And in shows like Mr. Robot and and, uh, has not improved upon this theme, that they live, uh, I think, (laughs) did better and I think executed to a large degree uh, in in a more enjoyable way. So do you think the people from Mr. Robot should have just watched They Live first and then started from scratch? I just think it's fucking hilarious that they watch Mr. Robot and then go to Twitter and Facebook to comment about it. You know, like they participate (laughs) in the very system that Mr. Robot is telling them, don't be consumerist. They're stealing your information to market to you and to like manipulate your your desires, wants, and values. And then they're like, yes, I'm going to go and talk on these platforms that are doing the very thing that this show is purporting to tear down to show me what true freedom is. I mean, it's the ultimate consumerist package that doesn't follow its own ethos. And it's like, it's, I mean... I mean, it's terrible. It's really bad. Okay, so, for example, this society of hackers that's going to 
tear down the system of slavery and and bring everyone to freedom. The name of the of the hacker society is called F Society. <laughs> I'm like, I, I, heard, I heard that, and their enemy is Evil Corp. And I'm like, oh my god, that is so ham fisted. Is anyway, that's so unobtainium. Uh, yes, no. it is. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. No. Also, for uh, for clarity's sake, I could have very easily said Clinton 2016 there, but for the purpose of the meter, Trump fit better. Yes, yeah, I think and, so. And, it does, and, and either way, it doesn't make any difference, because I'd like to close on this quote. Oh, okay, yes, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> from, <laughs> from, from I, lo- they I love live. They Live. I love They Live. Okay, yeah, yes, I love this, this quote movie. from They Live. <clears throat> you see them on the streets. You watch them on TV. You might even vote for one this fall. You think they're people just like you. You're wrong. Dead wrong. They live. They live. So, yes. Electronica. Is, is, <laughs> is Hillary, like, yeah, Hillary and, uh, and Trump both, I think, fall into that. I mean, I'm not saying they're alien. I'm not saying they're aliens. <laughs> I'm just saying I feel like that quote could be applied equally to either of them. So, all in all, mm-hmm. little, a fun movie. Oh yeah. Uh, okay. No, it was fun. It was fun to watch. Absolutely. Uh, it's it's bad, but most of the eighties was bad. So. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that is the biggest fault of this movie was that it was made in the eighties. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but it's 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 the flaw that makes it a gem. It's the right. I, that's that's Schwarzenegger's whole career. It's most of Stallone. Who the hell's the other one? I'm not thinking. Van John Claude Van Damme. Like he need any other era would not would have rejected these people. <laughs> <laughs> for perfectly justifiable reasons, <laughs> <laughs> but that one was that one. It just it works out. It awesome. worked out okay 80, during the eighties. The eighties was the genesis of so bad it's good. Excellent, yeah. And this movie totally fits into that in a dozen ways. The, the thing is, during the eighties, they thought they were good. That's, that's why the, that's it like works. the mind blowing part. They <laughs> really thought they looked good. That's that's No, and I works. and I'm glad we have all put on the glasses and seen that the eighties are shit. I mean I'm really <laughs> glad that we were able to put those glasses on now and see that like you know those uh, six inch raised I can't wait pads. for mullets to come back. Oh God. Huh. They, they don't do in, it, in, in, Don't do in a, it. In a few pockets, they never died. Oh, man. <laughs> so, um, are we on to the next film? I mean, it's uh, yeah. David's pick. This it is. Oh, so, so, I was I thinking... Had, I had two options, okay. but I already said one of them, so that feels like it would have ruined the surprise. I was going to pick The Matrix because... Actually, I was just basi- revisited that recently. <clears throat> We're going to instead revisit a movie that um, has been shown... At the off cultural, the offsite cultural society before, but uh, has not shown up on the podcast. Talking about same shit, different day. Uh-huh. We're gonna watch Network. Okay, cool. This, I think, actually, I thought of, I thought when we watched Network, I was like, this movie falls very well in line with that Excellent. as well. Yeah. yeah. No, Network is Network has, uh, by contrast some of the genuinely best monologuing I've ever seen. That is like a top hundred movie of all time movie. Like that's, it's a, it's a winner. Have you seen its spiritual successor? Uh, which one? Nightcrawler. I have not seen Nightcrawler. really good. Um, It does have Jake Gyllenhaal, which makes it hard. (laughs) (laughs) I did make it all the way through the movie though. Did you like it? Um, (laughs) I, I, I was I was kind of into it. I'm I I don't remember the end exactly, so I probably would have to rewatch it. But um, I did I did actually 
put an effort in and, and watch it, which is saying a lot because it does have Jake Gyllenhaal in it. Um, but I was willing to give it a go. <laughs> yeah, but as far as as far as connecting that move, as far as connecting, they lived a network. They pretty, connect pretty good. They connect pretty well. So, yeah. The sensationalism of the media. Yeah, the only and... difference is that. They're real people and network and not aliens, which almost makes it Except worse. Except for one person, but we'll, well get to that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, that but he's like, not an alien. He's not an alien. He's God. Yeah. Well, that sounds exciting, David. I am, I'm happy to revisit this film again. This is going to be a good time. <laughs> and with that, Nicole, Ryan, Mitchell. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for being part of the Machination Log. Good morning, everyone. So, okay, so after this trip, Lou has decided he wants to get rid of all of the animals. So as of next year, I'm going to be, I'm going to start sewing. Nicole's going to have something I'm new have to do. Yeah. Oh, that, and I, I sort of want to open a wax bar franchise out Amazing. here. Because I got my legs waxed, and it's like this cool bar, and it's like real <laughs> unisex. It's like guys and girls. <laughs> Okay, so I'm like a week and a half out. They look great. Can we do a can we do a combo wax cryotherapy? (laughs) Whatever we want to do. Whatever we want to do. Anything that involves invasion of the entire body. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think that works. So like just tattoo parlor cry. So just like a really unisex wax bar where you get your Brazilians, your boyzillions, your back waxed, your legs waxed by some like hot girl with tattoos. Excellent. And just, like, that she got at our place. Yeah. Oh, why not? Yeah. They waxed them on, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm I, you know, I'm currently thinking of other ventures I can do with my life. And oh, yeah. like sewing is also another one. I want to like just make, I want to do a year where I just make all of my own clothes. Okay, no, no, not only that. Oh, that's a car outside. Sounds like a bus. Yeah. Oh, I guess that that little garage space you guys got. I need to find. You can do whatever you want now. Don't okay. be filled with animals. Well, no, I, but it's not it's not the right shape. I just I need to find. They don't make these, which is the problem. So I, I figured, um, what I need is I need to buy a um, I need to buy a Michelin franchise <laughs> because the shape of that garage is perfect for everything. Okay, it's okay. just a giant, tall garage that fits four cars. So, David, our next year we need to to figure out how to get the paddocks to sponsor us for like a couple of franchises. And we're two of them, so we're we, in. We yeah. get them. We, we get them to like just get enough to where they make money, and we don't have to do anything except. Just yeah, be like, no, keep I, working. No, I want to work my ass off and just not make any money. Like, that's what I want to do. <laughs> oh, th- well, I've been doing that for five years. <laughs> exactly. <sucks. Yeah. laughs> no, no, see, I want to do that with no intention of profitability. Okay, good. That's way more fun. <laughs> like, I don't plan on well, selling I'm, this I'm cello. I'm well on the way to <laughs> that. that. <laughs> what if Yo-Yo Ma offers to buy it? I will sell you'll, it to you'll him. You'll just let him lease it. You're like, you can use it for I mean, one performance. Yeah, it was one, yeah. of the, one of the original visions of it's actual garbage. Is what it is. <laughs> one of the reasons I... One of That's pretty good. <laughs> I'll take that Cap- under consideration. Yeah, Practice writing that in cursive. <laughs> No, fuck that. <laughs> Sans serif. Yeah, here we go. Okay. <laughs> no, you, um, no, was, I'm uh, having a good time. Oh, no, no, it's, it's, it's been all right. No, um, I haven't seen anyone in like two weeks, and I've been <laughs> no. in a time warp, so you know, I'm just, you know I'm just what? going, getting back to reality here. All Either right. Okay. I haven't seen anybody either. Right. No, the, um, <laughs> no, it was going to be one of the nice things about Squarespace is they have like store stuff. 
This yes. podcast only peripherally brought to you by Squarespace. Um, <laughs> I was going to eventually just have one of a kind Etsy style bullshit. Like when I finished a project, okay, I would just so, put it up for so sale for an exorbitant so amount ne- of money. Next year, that's I'll fair. be ready to join that endeavor. We can do like awesome. a whole actual garbage I'm, clothing line. Oh, yes. that's yes. I'll absolutely. just make you a polo shirt that'll be like all like, you know, indie looking and then uh, you can put the logo on artisanal, it. Artisanal. It'll be artisanal. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to wear actual garbage. I like an actual nice. artisanal yeah. polo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that sounds That sounds like a dream worth pursuing. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> that sounds like a good way to sink financial stability. <laughs> I thought that was the goal here. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, we are... We're a really not-for-profit organization. <laughs> we are the inverse Ex- of a profit yeah. organization. I, I filled in non-profit oh, like, organization on Facebook for this thing. I don't think that... I don't file any 503s, yeah. but... They don't take that ironically, by the way. No, they <laughs> don't. Okay. Which is annoying, because they keep telling me to, like, start movements. Like, I don't... I mean, sure, at some point, that sounds... They keep trying to get me to put a business phone number on my TR Herp, and I'm like, you think I want these people calling me? (laughs) (laughs) Are you out of your mind? Uh, Hey, what's up, Mitch? Hey, how's it going? Oh, no, yeah. This is the machinations. Oh, all right, there we go.